This is Pauline Jennings, and you're listening to Musician Talk. My guest this week is Justin London, the Andrew W. Mellon Professor of Music, Cognitive Science, and the Humanities at Carleton College, where he teaches courses in music theory, music psychology, cognitive science, the philosophy of music, and American popular music. Justin has a degree in classical guitar, master's in music theory, and a Ph.D. in music history and theory. His research interests include rhythm and meter in Western and non-Western music, music perception and cognition, and musical aesthetics. He's taught all over the world and led professional organizations. On top of all this, he plays guitar with a jazz trio. So you see, Justin definitely has the chops needed for this fascinating conversation about music and the brain. And he has a way to make all of this dry-sounding material fun and exciting, as you will soon find out. I'm honored and lucky to have him here today on Musician Talk. It's time to talk with Justin London. Hi, Justin. Welcome. Thanks, Pauline. Good to be here. Oh, I'm so happy you are. Came down in this windy, windy weather. Ugh. I tell you, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of the, the cold weather, and we get a nice day, and then the wind just takes it away. Thank you, Wendy, for setting this up. And um, I am going to ask Wendy to join us for part of today because it's a little bit different, seeing as we don't have a musician on that is, we're talking about their music, although he, Justin is a musician. We're talking about the brain and music. And I have been wanting to have a conversation with an expert because I say all sorts of, I spout all sorts of things during my show that I really don't know that it... <laughs> that I've read, that I've gleaned from reading here and there, and I don't know, really, really, I'm not an expert. So now I have an expert on, so thank you for joining me today. No problem. So first, I want to talk about your musical journey and your academic journey and your scientist journey, which is huge a huge ask, but if you could take me through how you got to where you are today at Carleton. Right, well, uh, as we were chatting uh, before the show, uh, I grew up in a house full of music. My dad was a jazz musician. That was his first, well, his first love was my mother. But his ah. second love uh, was jazz music. And uh, he played it as a kid through high school, but wanted to have a respectable trade. So he became a research biochemist. And then when he retired, he founded a big band and that's still mm. playing uh, wow. in, the, in the Daytona Beach area of Florida. So... Um, there was always music, lots of jazz playing in the house, but dad was also a scientist. And so we all had, the kids all had music lessons. I grew up starting on the clarinet. I shifted to guitar when I was about 12. And of course, if you were studying music, you were having proper lessons. So ah. I started with classical guitar lessons when I was 12. Uh, and uh, my dad, who was a gigging musician, and my mom was the singer in the band, uh, was heartbroken when I said, Dad, I don't want to go on in science. I want to go to music school. <laughs> oh, so I did. He said, he resigned with a sigh. He said, all right, go to music school. And I went to the Cincinnati Conservatory, studied guitar, had an epiphany that I did not want to just teach guitar lessons because my teacher there was very good and preparing us to be music teachers because she knew that's how we're going to make our living right uh, and gigging uh and i had some other mentors there who said well you know you're pretty good in class you want to stay on and do music theory and i said okay <laughs> why not oh i did not i did not have a plan this is all 
just dumb, very good luck. And they, uh, so I studied with a couple of people there, and then they said, uh, who are interested in rhythm, which was interest, which I found interesting, as most musicians do. Uh, although that was not a typical thing that a music theorist would study. Mostly, when you think of music theory, you think of harmony and learning how to do your chord progressions, right? right. So, um, and they said, "Well, you need to go on." After I finished a master's, and they sent me on to this guy. His name is Leonard Meyer, who uh, studied rhythm at at the University of Pennsylvania. So I moved to Philadelphia and started working with him. And again, I wasn't fully cognizant of the fact that uh, Lenny was a great music psychologist. So I started working with him, and then it became inevitable that my main teacher in graduate school uh, was kind of a music scientist he was mostly a music but got me going there wow. and then i came to carlton uh, over 30 years ago mostly to teach music theory but also pursuing uh questions of how we talk about rhythm and one thing about rhythm is uh it's all a lot of it is not just what you hear but it's what you feel on account of what you hear right uh so um more and more i found myself Look, wondering about like, well, why does that sound fast or that sounds slow, or why do I feel a beat so strongly when there's nothing happening at all? Right. Uh, so uh, it didn't take much. I was already at the top of the slippery slope and just kept going down it, uh, and then started hanging out with other people who researched these questions, and basically morphed into a music, becoming a music scientist. Um, uh, sort of what dad was thinking about all along. (laughs) Uh, And also I had a good respectable (laughs) job uh, teaching uh, at a, at a fine small liberal arts college. Uh, So, and that's kind of how I got here. Wow. It all came together. Right. It It came together for you and for your father, which is just (laughs) wonderful. Well, thank you for that. And you did a great job just synopsizing that. So you talked about um, music scientists and that your area that you, kind of started with and continue to look at is rhythm. And so what do you research when it comes to rhythm? Right. Well, my one-sentence answer is I study the speed limits of rhythm. Okay. Because it turns out that, and again, scientists have a lot of, spend a lot of their time uh, studying what's obvious to everybody. You know, uh, an astronomer (laughs) studies why it gets dark at night. Right. Right. (laughs) So, it's like musicians and listeners know, well, yeah, it gets fast and it gets slow, but and they know that things can get too fast and get too slow. So um, in studying the speed limits of rhythm, uh, you want to know, well, why is it that these speed limits exist? And uh, it turns out it mostly has to do with how fast your brain can process the information. I, I brought a little demo in. Could, would now be a good time for yeah, that? Yeah, before that, I just want you to explain what you mean by speed limits. Okay. So um, we can play notes very fast or very slow. So w- the question is, when d- do the notes become too fast to play? Like, you know, you if you told a musician, I want you to play these a thousand notes uh, a minute. Right. Well, they probably can't do it. No. Right. Uh, and if 
so how fast can they play? But a, another qu- related question is, even if somebody could play that fast or you had a machine playing that fast, how fast could your ears keep up with them? Got it. That's what I mean by the speed limits. How fast can your ears keep up with them? And it's both the maximum and minimum. So also when you slow something down, there's also how slow can it go before you can't dance to it anymore sure. can, at all? I mean, not even walk with it anymore. Got it. So if you think of those things, that those are the sort of boundaries that I'm interested in, in when I say the speed limits Got of it. music. Okay, so go ahead now with the with your with with you the have, set it up. For Wendy, us. Uh, could you? Um, I have a the first cue. I don't want to say. Beethoven. Yeah. Mm. Oh, all right. See, I okay. I should have well, said particularly that in Northfield. All right. Well, okay. Uh, wh- why don't you play the first? I think it's a continuous file. So just it play is. the first bit, and then you'll need to pause it. This one that I was going to. I I have separate files. This is the Beethoven one. Yeah. Okay. Let's just call it Beethoven. We all know it's Beethoven. All right. Here we go. That was kind of quiet. Very slowed down version of the same piece. It's Beethoven. The question is, which Beethoven piece is it? Right. Oh, and it's painful. Right. <laughs> wait for the so, next note. Obviously, these notes are too far apart. You can't even hear them as a tune, right? Right. That's the point. So how close do they have to be well, to hear it still as a tune, albeit a very slow one? Right. So this is obviously too slow. I think it's almost the, the agonizing slow is almost over, and then you should hear <laughs> what, what the song is. Yeah, which here it is. And there it is. We all recognize right that, that the the ode to joy from the Ninth Symphony, and. Realized by a very cheap synthesizer I have in my office. <laughs> so um, the first one, you had this burst of notes that you couldn't figure out what it was. Right. And the second one was so slow, you couldn't figure out what it was. Although you can kind of trick yourself into it. If you catch a note and then catch the next one and catch the next one, you can maybe reconstruct them. But there's no way that you're actually hearing a melody. Right. Right. But and, you're filling in right. at that point. So it turns out that when the notes come about more than 10 notes a second, uh, we have a lot of trouble to, you know, telling what the melody is. Also, if you try and tap along with it, uh, we have a lot of trouble syncing up precisely. You can kind of stay with it because you're probably tapping along very fast, but you're, you can't synchronize the way you could if it was just a little bit slower. Similarly, when it gets that you know, really, really slow, you can't move along with it or, or identify it. If I give you the same try and tap along with it, when the notes are about a second and a half to two seconds apart, instead of being able to tap right along with them, which we can do in in, in between, we're, we're, per, we're really good at it. People are really good at adults, especially at this wide range of, of tempos. But then when it gets too slow, it's like a reaction time test. You hear the note, and then you immediately try and 
and tap or do whatever you're asking somebody to do. Got it. So that the, those establish the speed limits, and it's not because musicians can't play faster. We can, you know, guitarists and flutists can play trills, drummers can play lots of really complicated patterns, but you can't sync up with the individual notes anymore. Wow. Right. So it doesn't matter what kind of music you're playing. It's, no, it doesn't matter. Is... And you can, and we've studied this cross-culturally. I do some work looking at African drummers. Other people have looked at uh, Indian drummers and tabla players who can play amazingly fast things, right? But they're thinking not in terms of individual notes anymore. You right. can't think that fast. They have to think in terms of takadibi takatigada, like an, an, an entire pattern of it. That right, they, that they've learned and practiced a lot. And so, if we're listening to it, are we? If it's going the parts that are going so fast, like trills and the things that drummers do, are we listening? Are we hearing them in batches as well? Yeah, you hear them in a batch. You hear like diddly diddle. That's right. one thing. Right, right, right. They don't hear the did da di la li dum. I love that. Right. I love right. that. That our mind, when it becomes too much for it, we find ways to compensate. Right. This is a general. A process known as chunking, when okay. you have sequences of events in you know words in a sentence or actually syllables in a sentence that come together to form words or clauses, you don't listen to a sentence in terms of every syllable, right? Right, right, right. You chunk it. We do the same thing with music. So the question is, how do we chunk music? So, so I'm looking at. I suppose to refine my description, I'm looking at the speed limits of chunking <laughs> nice. for music. That sounds like the name of a book, the speed limits of, of chunking. chunking. Yeah, I, I'm not sure it's a book I'd want to read, but go ahead. <laughs> or that anybody would know what it's about. Yeah. Right. Right. So along with uh, speed and uh, the rhythm is the beat, and there's, that, there's a difference between rhythm and beat. Right. So the beat is that when you hear music that's more or less regular you immediately start moving with it. We sway our bodies. You tap your toe. Again, it's within those speed limits. It's actually the the range for beats is a s- narrower portion of that because uh, we like to tap our toe between about 100 and 120 beats per minute, around two, ta- two beats per second. It's a really good rate of activity for lots of things that human beings can do for talking, walking, um, gesturing, it has to do with the size of our bodies. Uh, you know, little kids are fast, right? Because they're small, and then, so uh, and and so we like that that rate, and so we tend to gravitate towards doing things at that rate. So that's that's the feeling, the pulse, or the beat. And so, and because human beings, as you said, um, have there's this range that we all kind of fall within. I suppose there's people that fall outside those ranges, right. but no, but the average person falls in this range. Yeah. That's why we all talk kind of the same, at the same pace and we walk at the same pace. And we evolved to do this, to be able to understand each other. And if we our brains would have evolved differently, we might all be talking as fast as I do all the time. Or, or, or you're from New Jersey. Or, <laughs> some people actually think I am. And I've never even been there. Um, so, uh, that's fascinating. All right, all right. So we have this beat per minute that we that we like to right. hang out in. Yeah. Right. So that's and that's just feeling the beat, uh, and it's really interesting that um, whilst many, um, while all people can can feel a beat, you know, given a regular rhythm, 
people will start bobbing or tapping and, and they can do that. Um, and a few other animals seem to be able to do this. Oh, really? Birds. Some birds seem to be able to do this. They're famous uh, uh, birds on, on the Internet dancing to the Backstreet Boys that went viral. Uh, there's uh, actually uh, seals seem to be able to do this. There's one seal. Now, you have to work really hard with birds and seals. They sure. don't just do it naturally, whereas uh, little kids... Well, you know, you start playing music and they immediately start learning to dance and walk along to it, right? So yeah. you don't have to teach a human being to do this. What's fascinating is other primates are not very good at this. Interesting. So our nearest evolutionary ancestors don't have this, but we do. So the question is why and how do we do it, but that, that they can't do it. Um, so beat perception is is interesting. I mean, us. Uh, since I'm interested in the speed limits of music, I'm interested in how fast the beats go. And then you have to ask the question, what's a beat? Right. So the beat is sort of at a regular interval where you feel something ought to happen. Um, so we go, okay, that's interesting. And th then you start like using, uh, trying to find out these speed limits. So we would like have little drum patterns and ask people when can you is it too fast or too slow and and even at the sort of optimal rate you see how precisely different groups of people can uh you know synchronize with things and we found you know musicians are better at it than non-musicians because they've spent thousands of hours learning to synchronize with each other and practicing with a metronome anything you practice at you tend to get better at right uh, although not that much better Interesting. Right? Yeah. So for this, for this, for this, and in fact, everybody's better when you give them a a stick and ask them to tap along with the stick. We're we're better at that than just like using our finger. Huh. And drummers are, of course, the best at this. Right. And if you take the stick away from the drummers, they're really not that much better than other wow. people because all their practice, their ten thousand hours of practice, is with, with the sticks. sticks. They don't practice. Well, actually, some drummers of do course, practice barehanded if you're right. a djembe drummer, right? right? Then you are better with your bare hands. Right. But, but it, this is this fascinating thing. That just goes to show how specific our abilities are, which led – I'm working with some researchers at the University of Oslo. So we then did this study where we got different groups of musicians to just uh, you align a click track or drum along with – looped sounds uh and what we got some jazz musicians we got some edm producers and we got um, electronic dance music for yeah. those of you over 50 or so uh, i'm over 50 <laughs> so when you, when you know what <laughs> Just, it is, okay i am too right so um edm <laughs> producers and we got uh, folk musicians and these were all these are all norwegian norwegian folk musicians and there's a hotbed of you know e uh, edm producers in oslo so they got these these groups together and that was the task. Tap along or align a click track with it. Um, and we had some EDM sounds. We had some jazz sounds like jazz bass sounds, jazz drum sounds, some fiddle, you know, folk fiddle sounds and things like that. And the fascinating uh, finding was these different groups heard the beat in different places. They were teeny tiny little differences. Uh, well, actually, some of them were pretty big, but they were very consistent. They, the experts were not hearing the beat in the same place. The non-experts were kind of like a little fuzzier, but sure. the experts were 
really in, had had learned to hear these things. So, so that meant that they really weren't hearing that note the same way. Right. So when you, so when I think about that, okay, we all the beat is the beat is the beat, right? Right. But when you really think about it, and you have, let's say, you're playing a song that's 100 beats per minute, and the drummer's playing at one, and he's <clears throat> there's there's microseconds on either side of that right. that where where you're going to land on, and yeah. everybody in the band is going to land differently. And when you lock, that's when you're all feeling that beat really, really closely. Right. And, close and, and, at the same and, time. And musicians will talk about there's like a beat is like a pocket. And yes. In the pocket. Yes. Well, different notes have different shape pockets. Interesting. Some people have some beats, some people. Some beats <laughs> have very wide pockets. Some sounds have very narrow pockets, right? Yeah. I mean, everybody, for a metronome, which is just a click, it, there's not much pocket. So right. everybody pretty much does the same thing. So. Initially, that was what was used for research. You'd use like metronome clicks or a boop from a sign tone or a piano note. Sure. And everybody kind of behaved the same way. But when you start doing, well, this is a funk drumming sound. This is a jazz drumming sound. This is a a, a jazz bass sound. This is an orchestral bass. You, you get different responses because it's like, oh, well, that's a fat pocket. That's a narrow pocket. And then people kind of move the pockets Around so those are these two aspects to it. It was really fascinating, and it also was, as you said, like beats are just beats because the from the scientific side everybody thinks you just your ears hear a sound and we all process at a very low level the sound the same way. Right. We don't. We don't. <laughs> we don't. Wow. Right. At even at a very low level. And so when you have a folk musician playing with the jazzer, um, they may have a hard time, harder time feeling the groove together or get sitting in the pocket together. Yeah, exactly. I'm nodding my head up and down, yeah. so I'm telling your radio listeners that yeah. I'm doing that. <laughs> yes. So, um, right. And the interesting thing in terms of uh, playing t- together and feeling how this works is it's not just that you're different backgrounds. Uh, you know, if you're, you've got a folk musician and a jazz musician, they actually are not hearing the note the same way. So they're having a little trouble negotiating, like, how we get the groove locked together. Right. But even if you get, like, two jazz musicians, we have uh, – I remember I said we all like to feel beats within about 100 to 120 beats per minute. Well, your mileage may vary is <laughs> is the technical term. And um, so – some people actually prefer more slower beats. You know, you ask them to just like tap along that's neither too fast nor too slow. I mean, if you ask everybody to go really, really fast, they all go about 10 notes a second because that's about how fast you can, most people can tap. And if you ask them to go really slow, you'll get, you know, really odd things, but usually not much more than two seconds apart. But when you ask them to be like right the most comfortable rate, people will, will be different. And this is called spontaneous tempo or your preferred tempo. Well, if two people prefer very different tempos and then you ask them to play together, they're not as good at it as if you get two people whose preferred tempos are very close to each other. They have a much easier time syncing up. And of course, the best person to play with is yourself. because (laughs) And we've done this. You get somebody to like tape one... Yep. bit and then, and then yeah so you like you get a pianist gesundheit <coughs> to do like uh left hand and right hand separately and you have them playing 
not your left hand, but somebody else's left hand and somebody and your own right hand. But we're ac- actually the best at with our own left hands Play and right together, hands, right. even when we're not doing them together, because you know your preference the best. And when you say preference, that is, an, I like fast music because I like to move, or I like small. This is what your brain, the tempo your brain is comfortable at. Right. Yeah. All right. And now, of course, when you're asking musicians to do that, it's their brain has got is the brain's running the show. Right. But it's also the brain that's interacting and controlling their body that has to like perform the actions to produce the music. So it's brain and body working together. And that's true for everybody. It's like, I like this. My brain has learned that my body likes this like pace for walking and talking and moving. Right. And then it becomes self-reinforcing that the yeah. more you walk and talk that way, the more your brain likes it, the more your brain establishes. And, you know, this is... We forget that this is what we were learning to do when we were two right. and three years old. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. So you have, we, talk, we talked about um, tempo and we talked about beat, which leads us to groove. Yeah. And there are, It's a thing. It, groove is a thing. It's not just a feeling. Yeah. Right? Yes. <laughs> uh, so there is a sub air. Okay. So. Th- I'm in, in the area of music cognition and perception. That's okay. the kind of, of music science that I do. Um, and then within that, some people uh, work on how we hear pitch uh, and others work on how we do timbre. We're going to get to that in a minute. Okay. Uh, others, and I, I work with the rhythm crowd and um, I do the speed limits, but uh, a number of people have worried about like what makes just our basic sense of beat. Because that's still someone mis- mis- somewhat mysterious. You can play patterns where, you know, you don't necessarily have notes all the time, uh, and yet you can hear the beat. Uh, Wendy, do you have the Hoochie Coochie Man file? Could you play that for us? <laughs> Even when there's no music. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I made this loop. It keeps going. (laughs) Uh, Right. So, I actually, that's Muddy Waters' Hoochie Coochie Man, which I took. That's a stop time blues figure. And he starts singing uh, after the band goes, ba-bum-ba-bum, a couple of times. And I just cut out Muddy Waters. And everybody is, you know, I will play this for a class or a group of people. And you can hear everybody's foot tapping on the beats uh, uh, two and three in between. Yeah. Right. Nothing's happening, but you're feeling this strong sense of beat. So obviously, first off, we don't, we're doing it. The music's not doing it. So we're doing it. That's and and we feel it strongly in our bodies, but also we really kind of hear it in your mind's ear. You totally right? do. Right. So it's in your head. And so this is music that really makes you strongly feel a beat and really makes you want to move. And you, we enjoy it. That's yeah. the kind of technical definition of what groove or grooviness is. Music that really <laughs> makes you want to move in a pleasurable way. So turns out, well... 
now, I, I have to say that most of the people who do this like, like playing groovy music. So they said, well, let's study it, which means that we can listen to lots of music that's really <laughs> that's groovy, groovy and call it research and going into work. Uh, right. I'll, I'll fess up to that. <laughs> so uh, Peter Janata, who's at University of California, Davis, uh, is one of the leading researchers. And he did a big study, and he just had lots of different kinds of music. He had Motown, and he had jazz, and he had folk music, and he had pop music. And he had just lots of people uh, rating them as to what music they thought was really, really groovy. And there was a winner. Okay, I'm on the edge of my seat here. All right, here was the, by science, scientifically determined to be the grooviest piece ever. And, and while we wait for Wendy to get that set up for us, um, I, I want to, we, we're playing it from the beginning, not your clip, and we'll okay. just cut it out. But feel when you start to, or notice when you start to feel the groove, when you start moving your body right. at home. Right. That's a beautiful. This is Pauline Jennings, and you're listening to Musician Talk. We just played Stevie Wonder's Superstition, sorry, scientifically shown to be the grooviest song out there. According to studies I'm discussing here with my guest today, Carlton Professor Dr. Justin London. Okay, so when it first started, it's just the drums. This is what happened to me, happens to me, is I'm, I'm, I'm moving my foot because the beat's there, and you feel it, and it's strong, but then when the... Um, when the horns come in, is it, or is it the synthesizer that the comes clavinet. in? The clavinet. Clavinet, thank you. Yeah. Uh, comes in and it gets real funky. Yeah. Then it's not just a tapping. It's like my whole body kind of right. just grooving. Right. Right? So what, uh, the study that I mentioned b- before the hour, um, and I have to say that this was just a good example of whenever you're presenting this stuff, uh, you always have to stop in the middle of a song, and you hate doing that. I know. And that's a song where we really hate doing that. We so, do, we right. do. Sorry, so, um, sorry Stevie. Wonder. Yeah, sorry, Stevie. Uh, so uh, the study surveyed and peop- uh, lots of people listening to several hundred songs, and uh, 
Motown R&B was the top most grooviest. And this is just, what do you think is grooviest? What do you want to dance to the most? What do you like the most? And the people were saying yes, yes, yes to these three questions, which were rein- mutually reinforcing. And and then, you know, uh, other kinds of pop music was, it was right up there. So was disco. Makes perfect sense. This was all music made for dancing. Dancing, right. And then... Some jazz was good, some jazz wasn't. Folk music didn't do so well because it's not necessarily made for jan- dancing. dancing right. So, uh, so in, in looking at superstition, it starts out with that fairly straight drum track, yep. and it's got a strong beat, and we all start tapping our toe. Uh, but it's boom, chuck, ta boom, chuck. Boom, chuck, yep. da boom, chuck, and then you but um, bum, 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 Right. That's syncopated. It has a bunch of offbeat notes. Got it. So what they found is asking people again, which is groovier? Which one do you like moving to the most? If you have no syncopation, it's okay. And if you have, but it's not super groovy. And if you have tons of syncopation if it's like all over the place then you can't find the beat anymore and that's not right. okay right so there's an optimal amount of syncopation and and superstition just nails it, nails in, it in terms yes. of the beats clear there's this nifty stuff going on off the beat the syncopated things and then um it's got other interesting aspects layers of stuff happening when the horns come in all of which catch catches your interest and helps you move the other interesting thing about Janata's study, which I thought was terribly clever, is uh, one of the things that helped them quantify grooviness is you could ask people their opinion and you get some information. But, you know, part of that is do you th- if it's a song you really like, you're going to go, oh, yeah, it's right, really groovy. Right, exactly. And if it's a song that you don't like but might actually be pretty groovy, you're going to go, nah, it's not very groovy. Exactly. So what he did was he had cameras on people. Ooh. And they asked them to like, would you like just tap the beat along to this? Yeah, they could do it. Then he asked them to like just freely drum along with it. That didn't work so well because most people don't practice that. So drummers were okay with that right. part of the experiment. But if you weren't a drummer, it was, wasn't so good. Then he had just sit there. People couldn't. And they, he would see and the camera could see their whole bodies. They could, you know, they're sitting at a table, but he could see their feet and... And then you could just see, well, how much are they moving? Well, this becomes, as we say, an empirical question. We can do the video analysis. We know what makes you move the most. Right. It was the grooviest song. I was wondering about controlling that for, for preference of, right. of music, right? So, right. Yeah. I, I mean, preference is a problem whenever you ask some of these kinds of questions right. because it's this, you've got this kind of vicious circle where, you know, if you ask somebody, did they like something? They prefer it. Why do you prefer it? Because you like it. Why do you like it? You know, or what do you listen to a lot? Well, we don't listen a lot to music we don't like. That's for sure. Right. So then, and then the then what you tend to like is similar to what you already know and like, rather than things. That's why you should find all kinds of crazy new different kinds of music because you can find other things you're going to like that then will maybe help you like other things as well. 
Right. If you just listen to the same thing over and over, it's not so good. It's a lot easier to do that now than it was when we were growing up. I oh, mean, yeah. We had our albums and we would play our albums. Now you could go, songs like Carol King, you know, Carol, and I got a, a, there's a whole bunch of music to listen to, right. including current stuff. So right. that's interesting. Okay. So, okay, let's move on here to, I'm so fascinated with um, this rhythm cognition uh, deficit. I, that's what I wrote down, and I'm not sure what I w- was referring to there. Maybe you can... Uh, yeah, I remember from our previous conversation. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I kind of do pure research. We just want to you know, understand how people get a basic grasp of some of these aspects of music. I can't do anything that's going to help a musician play better or make a, a music producer you know, come up with the next hit. Uh, they already know how to do that. I'm more figuring out, well, what is it that you're doing that you already know how to do? Right. Not that I can tell you how to do that. But there are some practical benefits to this. When you study these speed limits of, of music and how well people can synchronize and not synchronize, it turns out that people who have certain kinds of move, movement disorders or motor disorders uh, are less rhythmic. And so... Uh, uh, one of the the biggest area here has been studies of Parkinson's disease and how um, you can use music and people's ability to tap along to music as an early indic- early diagnostic tool to see if there's signs of Parkinson's. Right. Because there's a specific part of your brain that actually is involved in beat perception. There have been studies of people listening to really groovy music and you put them in the brain scanner and you can see what parts of the brain are lighting up. Well, it's the same part of the brain, um, the, the, the caudate nucleus and the putamen. Thank you for that. Yes, yes. Not everybody <laughs> can go home and look that up. Uh, right. That's also implicated in Parkinson's. So okay. when they knew that this is part of the brain which has uh, you know some deficits and and physical failures in Parkinson's. It's also heavily involved in beat producing a beat. If I want to make one to like in, engage in a rhythmic behavior, or when I'm listening to rhythmic music, it also you know kind of resonates with it. Which is why for gait rehabilitation therapy, music is so terribly effective. You literally can't produce the regular rhythm inside your brain, so you externalize it with the music, and that helps retrain the brain to start doing that again. And I personally watched that happen with a friend of mine who was part of a band that we we had for a while, recordings that we did, great guitar player, got uh, got early onset Parkinson's, and uh, so it definitely had lots of rhythm in his bones right. and his brain. But the, like you said, that area of the brain is being af- affected. And what happens to a lot of people with Parkinson's is they get, they st- get stuck in, in uh, doorways or they, and they can't actually cannot move forward. Right. They can't take that next right. step. And he had just a little metronome on his phone. He would hit the program. He'd start hearing the beat in his head, and he could walk just fine. Right. Amazing to watch right. that happen. So obviously your your brain is not generating the beat. You right. need an external beat generator. Exactly. So uh, this is where you know there's some, I think, important practical aspects to Absolutely. this. Absolutely. Um, and there are other things as well. But, but, uh, and... It's not that music is this magical cure. I want to be just clear that there's right. this very specific thing that music is able to do in terms of it can provide a beat when you can't. But it also helps us understand, as we learn how the brain processes music, 
you're learning how the brain does lots of other things too. Right. So exactly because there's always a lot going on up there. There is. So there is. Yeah. Um, uh, there's so much more here, and maybe we have to have a second. Uh, part second portion to this show but uh so we're going to move on but there's so many things i'm writing down notes what we're going to talk about next time sure um but i want to move on to name that tune because i want i just want to okay and i want to challenge wendy with playing the the clips that i all right yeah we did i did give you these clips we should use at least some of them all right right. this is for both you pauline and wendy okay Okay. why are we doing this all right so let me do, here's the setup. <coughs> I mean, other than having fun. Yeah. Well, mostly well, we're doing this for fun. Right. Uh, so uh, we're not going to talk about rhythm anymore as much as I could keep going on about rhythm all day. And I could ask you more. Right. Many, many, many so another aspect of understanding how music works in your brain is how we're able to tell like one sound from another, one instrument from another, one person's voice from another. Right. And the musicians use the word timbre from the French timbre, <laughs> right? Or tone color to talk about. They have different colors. Notice we're using like a visual thing because we can say that's red and that's green. So we think that that's a flute, that's a bassoon, that's Wendy's voice, that's Pauline's voice, right? Right. And we're really good at it. And as a demonstration of how good we are in music, I've prepared a list here. <laughs> Of songs, I've got one note. Most of these are less than one half second. Wow! Of music, and I have seventeen clips. Right. If you want to give me the number? Would you please cue up number two and play it? Play it. <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh. All right, that's easy. All right, what is it, Pauline? <laughs> I don't know the name of it. Queen. Yeah, we know it's yeah. Queen. <clears throat> but it's Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, of course. My you, favorite song. Right, so if you know it's Queen, then your best guess is yeah. Bohemian Rhapsody. Right. I'm pleased to note that every single 18 to 20-year-old in my current class knows that's Bohemian Rhapsody. Awesome. This This actually was, because uh, I just did this a, a week or so ago in my class. And there was the movie recently. Yes, that did help. That, that, that did help. help a lot. Okay, let's try, since we're all sitting here, I think we're of a certain age, try number three. I know that one. That's the Who. Uh, won't get fooled again? Correct. Pauline is correct. Right. And that was I one of the I can see him mo- going across the stage on his knees. Yes. Uh, right. <laughs> Roger Daltrey. That's Roger Daltrey, one of the most famous screams in rock and roll. Yes. Never, okay. Never listened to The Who as a One of my favorite person. bands. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Was, yeah. All right. Let's, let's uh, do something a little more recent. Hmm. Let's try okay. number four. Sounds familiar. Try it again. Play it again, Wendy. Play number four again. Is it like Pharrell Williams or something? Not a bad guess. I have no guess here. All right. Uh, Almost all of my students know this one. This is Gangnam Style by Psy. Oh, yeah. And it was, notice that has a kind of envelope to it. The sound kind of blossoms, blooms in a certain way. I'm going to do it again. Yeah. Yeah, Where's the beat on that one? Ah, there it is. Got yeah, it. you could hear it that. Once more. 
Okay. Well, all, all, all right. Let me give you guys uh, an easy one. This is this is a self-esteem one, number seven. Okay. <laughs> okay. Ready. It's been a hard day's night. Correct, That's it. Wendy. Right. Um, we'll do one more, and then let's. We gotta move on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'd like to play this all day. Uh, all right. Uh, do you want Feels one that good. I think you can get, or one that I will challenge you? Um. But let's do one that we could get. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Number one of each. Uh, one of each. Okay, one of each. Number six, please. Got it. How about you? Uh, Beach Boys, Good Vibrations. Right. And that's not only were you, that wasn't, wasn't even a note. That right. was mostly the reverb from wow. a note from Brian Wilson. Yeah, gosh, how do how do our brains do that? All right, it's sources of sound in the world produce very characteristic sounds, right? Yeah, and it's <laughs> and they produce a wide range of things. They don't, you know, a note is not just like one frequency. It's tons of different frequencies for most notes, unless you're listening to an oscilloscope. It's just there's all <laughs> right. of these very rich sounds it's the uh, full spectrum of sounds and we're very good at distinguishing all these different spectral identities it helps us notice what's out there what's it's doing so it's a very very basic auditory ability we have and when we put it in a music domain then it's like how we're able to tell uh one person from another and this is what producers do ah you know how many different snare drum hits samples you can buy right thousands right right and what you want is within one second your fans when they are hearing going across the radio dial or flipping through spotify that's for me it's like that's jerry garcia's guitar Ah. right and i need like half of one note because you know what that sounds like my father was a saxophone player he you give him one note he could tell you exactly who was playing saxophone especially alto wow he's an alto player right yeah Right? And yes. that's, see how that important that is and how much how meaningful it is. Now, I could do other things like, uh, even if you don't know it, you would know, is it jazz? Is it country? Is it folk? Is it classical? You'd also know, is it sad? Is it happy? Right? Wow. From one second. Our brains are incredible, right. aren't they? Yeah. I mean, so a, a note is scientifically it's a frequency a frequency well it's a right? group of frequencies okay okay it's a cl- think of it as a cluster of frequencies that all tend to happen together a chunk a, a chunk. chunk a vertical Back, chunk oh, right on this wendy chunks are mostly for sequences and these are all <laughs> things that happen at the same time got it yeah but we're really good at identifying sounds especially familiar sounds and we rely upon them all the time and the, the i know we're running out of time so i'll well, here's, he'll be today's wrap-up. We evolved to be able to do this in noisy environments. There's stuff going on. Other people are talking. Other sounds are happening. Today, the wind is blowing. Lots right. of white noise from yeah. that. right? And yet, we can hear what's going on, figure out where it's happening, and and things like that. So, in order to do that, you have to be able to get at this sort of right away quick information and it turns out timbre is a really really powerful marker for 
what exactly you're listening to that's out there. Well, and I got to believe that the ability that we have all the ability to do this w- w- because we want to because we have language. And so the Oh, that we'll need another show for that yeah. because the the whole links with music and language is an amazingly interesting and complicated topic. But the basic answer is yes. Right. The fight is which came first. Okay. Did we evolve the music stuff and then it blossomed into language or did we evolve the language stuff and then the music came after because there's so much overlap between the two? All right. We were going to have a, a show on that, on language <laughs> and music and, and the brain, uh, because I think this is just fascinating. In fact, I was when I was doing the intro here, pre-recording that, I was thinking, well, should I say this is first in a series, even though I don't have the second one set up yet? Because I want to keep talking about music and the brain. I'd love to continue it with you. I'd love to continue with other scientists that study different um, different aspects of this because I find it fascinating. And also it it shows us how important music is. And that's kind of the point of the show, is, yeah. is the importance of music and pointing You had a quote out. you told I me about. I did. This is uh, Daniel Levitin who wrote, This is Your Brain on Music, as well as other things. Um, music may be the activity that prepared our pre-human ancestors for speech communication and for the very cognitive re- representational flexibility necessary to become humans. So there you have it. Right. And my, I got a quote for you, too. All right. Which is from Ian Cross, who's a friend and colleague who I've worked with. And he just succinctly put it, is music the most important thing we ever did? It made us human. There we go. Yeah. What a great way to leave the show. And I just want to thank you so much, Justin, for coming on. And I'm, we're going to do this again. My pleasure and happy to come back. All right. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Oh, sorry, Wendy. <laughs> I said I'm going to cure her for all. Thank you so very much to Professor Justin London for this educational and fascinating discussion. What a terrific teacher he is. Thanks also to all of you out there for listening to Musician Talk on the One, KYMN. I hope you have a terrific day. Music.